Hello, Husky fans! This is Max Cerullo, and welcome back to Yes, UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into the greatest UConn basketball teams of all time. And uh, as I'm sure will come as a surprise to none of you, the uh, 1999 championship team took care of business last week in our uh, 1 versus 16 matchup. Uh, they took care of 2021. And uh, I have to admit, I was a little bit surprised by the margin of victory. It was uh, it was under 90% uh, for the 99 team, but ultimately not all that big a surprise. So uh, Tim, uh, first of all, welcome back. And uh, I guess my I guess my pitch didn't quite land as, as uh, well as I hoped, huh? No, but that margin is probably because you had to throw out the Miami game there, didn't you? Yeah, either that or I, I don't know. I mean, I did kind of try to bully the whole uh, audience into <laughs> showing this year's team some love and possibly ruining the whole game. I think, I mean, realistically, if 99 had lost in the first round, we may have had to just stop and maybe shut this whole podcast down. It would have been kind of outrageous, but even, yeah. even still... So, uh, well, first of all, congratulations on your on your first round win. Uh, I have a I have a suspicion that our that this week's is going to be a little bit more competitive. You want to tell the people what, what we have coming up today? Yeah, sure. We uh, we've got a really good matchup here. This is our eight nine, so that's always good for a for a really good showdown. And we have. I just want to make sure I get the numbers right on the seeds. I just don't want to mess that up on you. Um, but we have the two thousand fourteen national championship team. And they are going up against the 1994-95 team, which was uh, one of the big momentum seasons in UConn basketball history, I would say. Yeah, this is... Sorry, go ahead. I'm just making sure I'm right. 2013-14 is the 8th seed today, correct? That is correct. 95 came in as the nine. And, uh, I mean, we were talking last week about how, really, if you take three through, like, what, 12 you could pretty much pull all those those uh, you know years out of a hat and you'd have a pretty compelling matchup and i was really excited when i saw this one because 2014 is a fairly it's fair to say that as far as the national championship teams go th- this one's a little bit polarizing because you know some people you know yourself included had these guys ranked pretty high and then you know some of the other uh, you know yukon people we reached out to put them really you know pretty close to the bottom if we're being honest so like you know it's this is really one of those teams where it's like you know i guess your mileage kind of varies depending on how heavily you weight the championship and you know the run they had to make to get it whereas you know 95 it's kind of the opposite where you know talent wise this team is crazy but like you know they just i mean i don't know they reached the elite eight and they lost the eventual national champ so you can't even really say they like blew it in the tournament either but like definitely an interesting matchup uh so I uh, figured we can get right into it, but I guess first things first, you know, 2014 is a team obviously we're all familiar with, but nobody probably more than you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that team, just for those uh, who maybe were sleeping under a rock in 2014 and, you know, (laughs) gladly. Uh, So uh, this team's special for me because 2013-14 was my first year covering the men's basketball team for the daily campus. So uh, really a great year to jump in, but we all remember. Remember the year before, 2012-13 was the year of the ban, the postseason ban. And so, you know, Kevin Ollie comes in and, you know, really guides that team through with the help of guys like Shabazz Napier and Ryan Boatwright, really gets that team to finish 20-10, and 10, which to us, you know, I think we consider a major accomplishment given everything that was going on. So you have a team that comes into the next season, you know, 
flying under the radar, but, you know, still feeling really good about themselves. And they actually, they come in as um, really well-respected, you know, ranked 11th in, uh, in Ken Palm. So, you know, you knew there was something there. Opens the season with a really a great win at the Barclays Center against Maryland. Uh, a one-point game that really, you know, you could say the deciding factor was arguably a Tyler Olander three-pointer, which was just a jaw-dropping moment in a year that would have a few of them. Uh, you know, you go through a few more games against really uh, teams that they they swept aside, and rightfully so. Uh, go to Madison Square Garden, take care of Boston College in a tight game, Indiana in a one-point win, so win the 2K Sports Classic. And then a couple, couple days later, a huge game at home against Florida. And, you know, obviously one of the most memorable games in UConn history because of the way it finished. Baz Napier hitting the shot at the buzzer to win by one against Florida in Gamble. One of the loudest you'll ever hear that place. It's such an unbelievable experience. And you went viral, Flo- too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Apparently my uh, I decided it was the right time to get my phone out. I took a video of it. It's got something like 100,000 views on YouTube and Fox Sports 1 ran it all night long. So that was pretty cool for me. Um, you know, they kind of, they kind of stumble after that, um, a two point loss at home to Stanford in a really, really ugly game, uh, for the, there's no other way to put it. That game was just gross all the way around. Um, and then obviously this is, was the first season in the American athletic conference. So we came in and thought, Oh, you know, we should probably us in Louisville should have no time bossing this conference around. Well, you go on the road to a Houston team who was really bad at the time, and you lose. And then a couple days later, you're playing at SMU, and you lose. And you're like, well, this isn't supposed to happen. What the hell's going on here? So that just, like, that set the tone. It's the only time they lost back-to-back games the whole season. But, and it was the only time they lost to teams that they, or uh, Houston and SMU, and then obviously Stanford before them, were the only games they lost to teams who they hadn't been in the Big East with. Uh, they look. They lose to Louisville three times, including in the conference championship game. They lost once to Cincinnati. Uh, they got swept by SMU in the regular season. So it was a weird. It was a weird conference season all around. But you know, ending the regular season with an eighty-one forty-eight loss at Louisville kind of, you know, kind of dampened things. And you had to think that you know, UConn was in a really bad spot going into the conference tournament. But they go down to Memphis. They they beat both Memphis and Cincinnati to get to the championship game. Um, they improve on that loss. They lose by ten to Louisville, a team that surprisingly Louisville goes into the NCAA tournament as a four seed. They get knocked out in the Sweet Sixteen, but still ended the season number one in Ken Palm. They were a really good team, and obviously coming off a national championship, they no longer have claim to um, go into the NCAA tournament. And then it's UConn runs a gauntlet, but. They're, they're set up favorably because they're playing in the East region. Um, I do remember the night of selection Sunday, I was on the phone preparing to go out West. Everything said that UConn was going West. They were going to be in Washington, and then they would have to go to Anaheim if they wanted to get to Houston. But the committee decided they were going to send them to Buffalo, and then if they got through that, they'd go to Madison Square Garden. And so everything set up nicely. And... Of course, it all could have come crashing down in that first game. Um, overtime against St. Joe's, uh, two huge Amita Brima free throws late in the game, and UConn goes on to win by seven in, an, um, in a, or I'm sorry, by eight in a great overtime matchup. Knocks off the two seed Villanova in the second round. Really, just a great performance. Wins by twelve. 
Uh, a really, really great game from UConn. And then they go to Madison Square Garden. Obviously, a lot of emotion. You know, the home court. You know, first year out of the Big East, a chance to go to Madison Square Garden and do something special. They knock off Iowa State, a team that was everyone was really high on going into that tournament. And then they knock off Michigan State, a team that I thought was going to go all the way in 2014. Uh, they beat them by six in the Elite Eight to get to the Final Four, where they ended Florida's 30-game winning streak, which started right after losing the UConn example. So UConn bookends that season for Florida with a pair of great wins. And that goes into the national championship game. And, you know, it's a it's a slugfest against Kentucky, but they they find a way through it. Two teams that were, you know, it was a weird game. It was a seven versus eight game, but it's UConn and Kentucky. And UConn just, you know, they willed themselves to victory. They could have, uh, their bigs risked getting into foul trouble late in the game, but they were able to, to hang tight and, Hold on to win by six. Another amazing performance by Shabazz Napier to end his incredible career at UConn. And, yeah, just uh, the last time UConn won a national championship, and it was a special one for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all, I mean, probably most people listening to this show were probably, you know, into that team. And just, like, it, it was it was just so much fun. Like, that, that tournament run, I mean, it's hard to do much better than what they did. I mean, every team they beat, you know, basically, you know, arguably St. Joe's, whatever, but from Villanova on, I mean, those were just a bunch of real, real serious teams. You know, you can't really say that they, they had an easy run. Let's put it this way. They didn't get the Houston yeah. in 2021 treatment by any stretch. <laughs> um, if you look at the, Ken, if you look at the Ken Palm rankings, they beat St. Joe's was 55. And then after that, they beat 11, 29, three and 13 to win the national title. Yeah. Pretty good. And you know, that's, Ken, that's impressive. And Kentucky, like, it's weird. They were the preseason number one team. So like for them to be there, it's not really that big a surprise. I mean, you know, I mean, think about they were in that run, like the early 2010s, like, you know, they're in the final four in 2011. They win the title in 2012, you know, final four uh, national championship uh, appearance in 14. And then 2015 is when they almost went undefeated. So like, you know, really, you know, they they were kind of in at, at their peak at that point. So you know, the, the fact that they were in eight seats, like, whatever. That team was just stacked. A lot of really talented yeah. guys there. And um, 2014 was just a wacky year in college basketball in general. Sorry to jump in again real quick, but just, like, with that with Kentucky and then UConn making its run from a seven seed. Uh, Louisville, like I said, finishing one overall in Ken Palm despite being a four seed out in the Sweet 16. Wichita State going undefeated and then losing to Kentucky. Dayton making it as far as they did in the tournament. I mean... There was like there was a lot of wacky stuff, especially that tournament threw a lot at you. You know that's the year that Mercer beat Duke. I mean that was that was just overall an unbelievable year of college basketball. Yeah, I mean if there was any year that like we should have really known like uh, the Americans going to be a problem for us, considering where Louisville and UConn were seated. Like those teams were yeah. and Cincinnati too, I guess. Like those teams were all really good and like. You know, if those teams end up as like four and seven seeds, and we should have known. And like, oh boy, we're it's going to be you know as it turned out to be a long seven years. So either way, um, you know these teams. Uh, you know, why don't we walk 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 us through the the lineup? I mean, we know a lot of these guys, but you know, uh, you know, we got Shabazz obviously. Who who uh, who else do we got here on this lot this roster that we'll uh, be discussing today? Yeah, so obviously Shabazz Napier was the star of the show, one of the best players in UConn history. Uh, but then you look at the at the rest of the lineup, you know, just especially looking at that national championship game lineup, you've got Ryan Boatwright in there, who at the time was a, a junior, and you know the 
the wingman for Shabazz. You know, even though they had uh, even though they had their moments on the court together, uh, they didn't always see eye to eye. But he was obviously huge for that team. You've got DeAndre Daniels, who this ended up being his last season, despite being a junior. He uh, he tested the pro waters and just a really really athletic guy. You know, six nine, but like great on the wing and just could hit the three he could he could drive to the rim he was outstanding overall for UConn both on both sides of the floor uh Niels Gafai really really burst on the scene in his senior year just was lighting it up from three the entire season really fun to watch and um you know I don't want to say you know I don't like saying cult hero but just like a guy who like really came into his own in that year and just became a huge fan favorite uh, the way he he was pretty much throughout his four years, but he really he went out with a bang. And then um, when it comes to the center, it kind of rotated. They both started about half the games, but Philip Nolan started the national championship game over Amita Brima, and those two guys kind of shared shared the duties down low. The the two biggest guys on the team, and you know Brima being a freshman, it was really impressive to see him kind of mature over the course of the season. Um, you know, looking at the and you had Lasan Croma, who had come from George Washington, um, was playing his last year. He was huge for UConn as kind of the sixth man of this team. Uh, really great veteran leadership, just a really talented player overall. Uh, you had Terrence Samuel, who was a freshman, who really came into his own as the season progressed. He, he was just a really, you know, he wasn't the best scorer, but he was strong. You know, he could really, he could take anyone physically. Um, Tyler Olander, who didn't play in the national championship game, but of course ended his career with more rings than Jim Beheim. Um, hmm. That was one of the special things for Napier, Giffey, and Olander to all bookend their careers with uh, with national championships. So that was the thing with this team. Like it wasn't necessarily one of UConn's most talented teams, but you had three guys who had national titles, and you had a bunch of guys who had who had been here through so much already. Um, just between the juniors and the seniors, so this was a really uh, this was a really experienced team. No, absolutely. Uh, shout out to Amita Brima, by the way. We should mention he just made his NBA debut, uh, or he, he, rather, he just signed a, a pro contract. So, you know, he's a you know UConn's got another NBA guy, and it's uh, he's obviously had to work, and uh, you know, it took, it's taken him some time, but uh, you know, good stuff, good stuff for him. Yeah, that's awesome. Had a few injuries too, I think, which has really set him back. Yeah, well, either way, I mean, I don't yeah. think when he when he graduated, I don't think most of us would have necessarily seen no. this coming. So, you know, really good for him. So, yeah, that's um, awesome. so yeah, so you know, 2014, obviously a really special team. Uh, you know, one that a really special season. 1995, I think one that probably you know is probably not as well known and maybe gets lost in the shuffle just because it was not a championship season and I wouldn't say it was necessarily one of the more memorable 90s seasons, but I think you could make a case this was definitely one of the better teams, uh, certainly at that point in program history. So let's kind of run run through it. So 1995 was an interesting point in this program's history. So in 1990, you have the Dream Season team, and they make the Elite Eight, and that team was just uh, was awesome. They it was really kind of put UConn on the map. And then they have a couple years where they're just like, you know, either they're okay, they're not quite as good, you're not really sure what to expect. Then 94 comes, and you have Danielle Marshall just blow up. It's just the, he was like the program's first like super duper star, and you know UConn wins the Big East. They uh, they make the Big East semifinals, uh, make the Sweet 16. So a little bit of a disappointing finish, but undeniably one of their best teams. And then, you know, Danielle Marshall goes to, the pro- goes to the NBA and almost everybody else comes back. 
1995, this was really where UConn established itself as like, no, this this program is here and it, it like needs to be taken seriously. Um, this was the first year that UConn was ranked number one in the country, and that kind of book happened around the same time as the women's team. They won their first national championship this year too. So like UConn is like a real national men's and women's basketball powerhouse. Kind of begins it, it like it had taken root before this point, but this is when it really became a thing. And um, most importantly, Ray Allen. This is where Ray Allen really stepped up and became the superstar, where he was, you know, the number two guy as a freshman to Danielle Marshall. Now he's averaging more than 20 points a game. And you've got a really vet, a really strong and deep lineup of guys who are pretty good on the 94 team, too. We have Donnie Marshall, uh, Duran Sheffer, Kevin Ollie. You know, ever heard of him? <laughs> he's a senior point guard here, and this was his this was his best team. Um his best uh, season, rather. And, you know, you have other guys like Travis Knight, Brian Fair, you know, a younger Kirk King. It's a, this team, it was a, it wasn't necessarily a very deep team, but they had some serious talent and they, they really put, they really put the, the hurting on a lot of teams. So, um, you know, as far as like they go regular season wise, they start off real hot. They go 15 and 0 right out of the gate. And in the, like the very beginning of the season, they start off, uh, they play Duke in the in the Great Eight basketball tournament at the uh, Palace at Auburn Hill, and uh, Duke was ranked number eight at the time, and it was their first meeting since the uh, the Christian Leitner Elite Eight game from you know five years earlier, and uh, UConn beats them ninety to eighty six. Um, from there, they just absolutely just annihilate Yale. They you know beat BC, Fairfield, Illinois, Northeastern, Villanova. They absolutely smoked Hartford. And it just keeps on going down the list until eventually they face, they face number 10 Georgetown, beat him by 20. They face number six Syracuse, they beat him by 11. And that was really at that point, it's like, oh, we got ourselves a real team here. So they end up losing in the regular season to number seven Kansas to number 15 Villanova. Lost a weird one to Providence because, of course, they did. And then um, end up losing to Villanova in the Big East Tournament Championship game. But either either way, you know, this is as like dominant a regular season as you're ever going to see. And, you know, once they get to the NCAA tournament, they end up, uh, they, they smoked Tennessee Chattanooga, the 15 seed. So they're the number, I should say they're the number two seed in the tournament beat them by 29, uh, Cincinnati, number seven seeded Cincinnati. They get them 96 to 91. Um, defense I noticed in the tournament was a little bit of an issue and you'll, you'll see why in a second. Number three seeded Maryland, uh, they beat them 99 to 89. And then they run into number one seeded UCLA, the eventual national champions, and they lose a, a shootout to them, 102 to 96. Ray Allen had 36 points in that game. It was a, it was just an absolute rock fight, or a, or a, I don't know, a track meet, I guess, <laughs> whatever, whatever adjective you want to use. But um, even still, it's just a really dominant team that I, you know, I guess maybe ran out of luck at the end, you know, because winning a championship is hard, you know, like. You know, we talk about the 14 team and the 2011 team, and one of the things that makes them so special is just because of it's just really hard to do what they did. You know, really, really, really good and talented teams sometimes fail, and sometimes it's just it just works out that way. It's not even necessarily that they that they did you know they screwed up or did anything bad. It's just it's hard to win championships. Um, now, as far as the the roster goes, um, 
Ray Allen obviously is in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. So, you know, on the short list of like the greatest basketball players ever, period, much less in UConn history, he averaged 21.1 points per game, uh, 6.8 rebounds, 2.3 assists. And, you know, back in these days, he was known more for being a dunker than a shooter. Obviously, he can do plenty of that, too. So, I mean, you're talking about as dominant of, like an individual player as you have here. Uh, Donnie Marshall, 15.8 points, 5.8 rebounds. 1.4 assists, so he was a, a real threat across the board. Uh, Duran Sheffer, 11.1 points, uh, 4.7 rebounds, 5.5 assists. So I mean, like these guys, they, they do everything. Like they're all they're all scoring. They all can rebound. A lot of them can distribute the ball. So tons of ball movement going on. The defense is well up until the end. I mean, maybe this wasn't maybe the best elite UConn defense, but these guys could certainly move. Um, Kevin Ollie. That's an angle we gotta discuss, like the whole Kevin Ollie the coach versus Kevin Ollie the player aspect. That would how how that might affect the the psyche of that, all the players involved. Um, Kevin Ollie nine point eight points, two point five rebounds, six point four assists, and then uh, Travis Knight, the seven footer as a junior, is their starting center. Nine point one points, eight point two rebounds, one point two assists, and then um, Brian Fair uh, was I guess one of their their main six man six man guys. He he averaged nine point six points. And, uh, you know, a smattering of rebounds and assists. Um, Eric Hayward and uh, Kirk King are kind of your other guys. They're, they're not as productive, but obviously they're, you know, pretty talented players who played, uh, you know, big roles going forward beyond this year. And uh, one other thing I noticed about this team, they're very tall. Uh, every single player I just mentioned is 6'4 or taller. So that's an interesting, uh, that, that'll mix for some interesting matchups. So that's a 95 team. Um you know, I think I think definitely a team that probably deserves more respect because they, you know, it's maybe not the most notable season, but I mean, everything I just said, like you think about, it, it's like, god damn, like that's that's a good team. <laughs> yeah, and every like those teams were all paving the way to get to where we are today. Like that was like that was a really really good team, and they they set the tone for '96. '96 kind of set the tone for '98. '98 obviously set the stage for what we talked about last week. Right, right. So, um, as far as like you know, like we take these, you know, we take these two teams, you throw them out on the court against each other. I guess it's probably just a, a good place to start is to how exactly does the 2014 team react to seeing young Kevin Ollie lining up against them? As I feel like that, and maybe in reverse, be like have young Kevin Ollie just be like, "Hey, look, it's me." <laughs> <laughs> That's me. I'm 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 coaching I'm coaching UConn. Holy crap! What do, how how do we how do we see that dynamic playing out? Because I feel like that is a an underrated aspect of how this matchup would go in our hypothetical uh, you know game. Well, I think in practice all week you probably would have had guys like Boatwright and Phil Nolan jawing at older Ollie about his younger self and you know making fun of him and just like trying to like trying to forget about the fact that they were going to be going up against such a such a solid player on uh on the other team those guys love to laugh and have a good time so i think it would have been uh it would have been a really fun dynamic for them for sure yeah i i think it would have been it's an underrated dynamic in that kevin ollie the coach probably remembers exactly what used to go down in practice so he you know it's a in terms of strategy, you know, 2014 Kevin Ollie was a really good coach. Uh, it, it always mystified me exactly what went wrong down the, in the last yeah. few years. Cause like, it seems like he was like a, became a totally different person. It was really weird, but either way, you know, he, that aspect of like the coaching, 
I'm not going to say advantage over Jim Calhoun because there's no such thing. But either way, it's it's a, it's an interesting tactical component. Um, on the flip side, Ray Allen, how does 2014 UConn stop him? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good question because, like you said, he's not uh, he's not at this point known for uh, his three point shooting. In fact, he's not even in the top five of UConn three point shooters all time. You have. Uh, you have a player on the floor in this game who is uh, at number three with Shabazz Napier, but um, not with Ray Allen. In fact, he's uh, he's not even he is very far down the list in terms of the mo- uh, the most three pointers even attempted. So he's going to be a guy who drives to the lane. And you know, the thing that always impressed me about this 2014 UConn team is you know they weren't like they weren't going to light you up offensively, but this team won the national championship because of its defense. I mean, this was just such an outstanding defensive team and it didn't matter, you know, how much of a size advantage the other team had. When you looked at teams like Kentucky and Florida, especially, and you know, like Michigan state, those teams were massive. I mean, some of the guys that were on the floor for those teams were just specimens. They were unbelievable how big they were and it didn't phase UConn at all. I mean, UConn was able to shut down some of the best players and the biggest players in the country just by, you know, being smart defensively. And, you know, obviously, Shabazz Napier was such an outstanding guard on the defensive end of the floor. Ryan Boat, right, the same. And, you know, guys like Nolan and Brima, well, they weren't celebrated for being, you know, the most efficient players, especially on the offensive end of the floor. They did do their part defensively, but... DeAndre Daniels, I think, would have, would play a huge role in this game as a defensive player, whoever he's on. I mean, that guy is all over the place, and he can beat you in so many ways on the defensive end of the floor that a lot would really come down to him. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, actually, if you want to make the case 4-14 and 14 against 95, Kentucky is your prototype because that team was also huge. They were also super yeah. athletic. Not exactly an apples-to-apples comparison because I don't think you can really compare James Young to Ray Allen. I, I think that's such a, a gross difference in, in just overall ability. Like It, it kind of throws it all out. But you, you do have the two bigs on Kentucky you know, versus you know uh, Travis Knight, obviously, is a legit big. Uh, Donnie Marshall you know, is, is not quite as big a size matchup, uh, or mismatch, rather. Uh, but even still, like, you... you Explain. I guess we'll put it this way. Explain to me, based on the Kentucky game, kind of what the blueprint is for for 2014 to deal with this particular 95 UConn team. Oof, that's a good question. Um, I think just really looking at, uh, like you mentioned, Daniel Marshall there. Um, I'm sorry, Donnie Marshall. I think um, he's probably most comparable when you look at the Kentucky game to Julius Randle. And Julius Randle had a you know a fairly quiet game against UConn with just the just the 10 points. And I think it's just because the the, the bigs were so smart between Brima, Nolan, and Daniels. Like when you had two of those three guys on the floor, you know, it was always going to be Daniels and one of the other two. I mean, they were just so smart about, you know, not making stupid decisions. They would, you know, they weren't going to, they weren't going to let you get to the line. In fact, I think, um, you know, especially late in the game, they, they avoided foul trouble so well that, that really made the difference. You know, it was only a six-point game, and if, you know, you had a point where Nolan had four fouls and Brima had four fouls and Daniels had three, and that was with, like, ten minutes left to go in the game. And they just, you know, 
experience came into play for Daniels and Nolan especially. They just, you know, they weren't going to get sucked into making stupid mistakes. They were going to force you into a bad shot without fouling you. And, you know, they're going to try to beat you to the boards. And, you know, that's, you know, that's the way you got to stop a team like that. Yeah, now that's, it definitely sounds like, I mean, it worked against Kentucky. It's a good strategy in theory. So let me, let me kind of challenge you with this. Uh, Kentucky and teams, really no, no team that UConn faced, moved the ball as well as 95 UConn could. Their starting lineup uh, collectively averaged close to 16 re- uh, assists per game. And they had six guys average more than nine points per game. So, I mean, th- there's a ton of ball movement. They scored in like the 80s and 90s almost like pretty regularly, like a lot, like most of the time, if we're being honest. So that's a dynamic 14 did not have to deal with very often. So how, you know, how, how would you expect them to contend with that aspect of the, uh, 90, what 95 would throw at them? Uh, I think it would rely heavily, of course, on Napier and Boatwright. Um, you know, two guys who are really fast in the backcourt and two guys who were, uh, who are really good at locking teams down defensively. I mean, if they could, you know, if they could keep up with them in transition, you know, they, these are guys who forced a lot of steals and, you know, and just like forced them, you know, forced up, forced guys to take tough shots. So I think if they just, you know, I think speed would play a huge factor. And I think especially a guy like Boatwright had that, um, even Daniels had that to an extent. So if they just, you know, you just can't let a team like that get out and run on you. And I think that this was a team that did a really good job of locking down defensively and making sure that that didn't happen. Yeah. I actually, I just looked up the 95 team stats and they, they averaged 86 points per game. 86. That's a, that is nuts. <laughs> like, what the, could you, could you imagine? I, I feel like now I feel like I need to go in a time machine and just I don't know. Just spend a couple hours on UConn Husky games or something and watch this. That is yeah. that is bonkers. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's 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 wild stuff right there. So yeah. you know, I guess uh, you know, I, I'm I'm challenging you on kind of how some certain matchups. What do you what do you got for me as far as what do you think the, the '95 team would have to contend with uh, specific to 2014? Hmm. It's a very good question. I think that I'd be worried. You know. For as you know, despite UConn not necessarily in 2014 being the best offensive team in the country, you know you do have an excellent scorer and a guy like Shabazz Napier. And you talk about 95 giving up, you know, scoring a lot of points. They were, you know, obviously 86 points per game. They gave up nearly 75 a game. They were kind of middle of the road in the country in terms of scoring defense. So when you've got a guy like Napier who you know, we've talked all the time about how he can hit shots from anywhere with a hand in his face, with you know, getting to the rim and just throwing up a shot that makes you say no, and then all of a sudden it goes in and you regret being ever doubting him. How do you stop him? Yeah, I, I'd say that you probably don't, or rather, ninety five probably doesn't. <laughs> that seems like uh, that matchup. I think would definitely be Shabazz. Uh, okay, well, how about this? Shabazz or yeah. Ryan Boatwright, which one of them is is the one who's guarding or trying to be guarded by Kevin Ollie? Ooh. <laughs> um, I think, man, I'm 
just trying to like look at these matchups and trying to think about who it would be. I'm trying to imagine I, like maybe like a Legolas versus Gimli situation where they're trying to take <laughs> keep oh they're just gosh. trying to rack up as high a body count as possible because you just know that yeah, they would seriously. be determined to just destroy him just just out of the principle yeah. of the matter. You know, I would say that you know I'd say probably Boatwright. And I'm just like, I'm also trying to think about where Chroma would fit into this game as kind of a bigger guy. You know, I talked about him like being sort of the sixth man that year, but he'd be a guy who'd get a lot of rotation in a game like this because, yeah, because but he'd, of his he'd, size as a guard. He'd probably end up matched up with and against Ray Allen, though. I mean, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. So I don't think that's, I, I, no, no, shouts, no, no shots to Lasan Chroma, but that's not a matchup he's yeah. going to win. No, I, but I think, no, I think from the start, I would probably say, see, this is, I'm a horrible basketball coach and I'm a horrible basketball mind, but I feel like I would, I would, I could picture Boatwright on Ollie. Yeah, I guess I, I think that probably makes sense. I yeah, mean, either I'd way. I'd say maybe that and then Napier on probably Shefford. Yeah, well, it would be one or the start. other. Maybe they would trade. But yeah. either way, you ask like you know, what they would do to stop Shabazz. The answer is they'd probably try to defend him. It's going to be a really like high-tempo game anyway. So Shabazz is probably going to attempt like 14 or 15 threes and you know, probably score like yeah. 25 points easy, just, just automatically. <laughs> so I guess the question for you for 95 is... Uh, you know, can they keep up? And clearly, they can. They 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 put up you know ninety like you know in half their games. It seemed like, so yeah. You know, Ray Allen, two thousand fourteen is not stopping Ray Allen. You know, DeAndre Daniels is not. You know, he he can slow him down, but Ray Ray Allen's getting twenty five easily against fourteen. And you know, he could frankly, if we're being honest, if he really if Shabazz is going crazy, then Ray's gonna just be like, all right, well, I guess I gotta you know deep dig a little deeper and uh, go for forty five or something stupid like that. So I could easily see this band being like 110 to 100 if we're being honest. It, it, it would potentially be a real, uh, real stupid game. But um, yeah, the bigs is probably the the bigs is really a problem for 2014 here. I mean, Travis Knight would probably eat any of the three primary bigs for 14 alive. <laughs> it would be pretty. It would be kind of a joke if we're being honest. And it's like weird because we we could say the same about basically all the teams that. 14 played in the tournament or just in general I was just gonna say and, that. It, and yeah. it ended up not mattering so i guess that's a point in your favor but try to i guess explain to me how phil nolan and amita brima are going to deal with travis knight who i you know he averaged nine nine points and eight rebounds and uh you know a lot of you know a lot of other good things per game too so i don't know what do we how, how does this go <laughs> um <laughs> You know, it's funny because I like I always think back and I'm like, how did they do this? Like, I mean, they really, you know, they really shut down some incredible bigs. Like, you know, especially like we're talking the Kentucky game with Julius Randle, Takari Johnson before that against Patrick Young from Florida. And I just I don't understand. I guess like the simple answer is like, don't play stupid. Like, that's really all I can think of because, you know, they were guys who. You know, I said, like, you know, avoid foul trouble, but they're guys who both had four fouls in both Final Four games. So, I mean, they're. Look, this was a really good shot blocking team, so I think that's really what it comes down to on the defensive end. But offensively, I th- or defensively, I mean, they just, you know, again, you know, stay in front of them, don't foul, don't. Don't make stupid decisions. Don't get sucked into doing something that you know that is going to lead to trouble and just like try to force them into bad situations. Obviously, with Travis Knight, that's a very difficult thing to do. But, 
um, you know, I think that's that's the way you got to go. Rotation will be key here because those are guys that are going to split minutes. Obviously, one's going to start, but they'll probably both play about half the game. And you just got to stay fresh and uh, not let him take advantage of you. Yeah, it seems to me that 95 would have much, they would have more ways to win this game. You know, they could rely on, you know, Ray Allen could take over if he needs to. You know, the guards, you know, Sheffer and, you know, Kevin Ollie are capable of affecting a game in a lot of different ways. So they could score if they have to, they could distribute if they have to, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're good at pretty much whatever you call, whatever 95 needs they, they can do, you know, the front court, you know, night and, um, you know, it would, it would be, it would be, it would be a big, it would be a big mismatch. It would be a big opportunity for 95 to, um, to take over. Donnie Marshall obviously can score as well as he can rebound and do all that other stuff. Whereas for 2014, I mean, you know, forgive me for saying it really kind of feels like there's only one way they win this game. And that's basically just how they won the championship, which was basically just like yeah. Shabazz and Boatwright go crazy. And then everybody else just, you know, contributes just enough, which is obviously yeah, was that. And then the the other. So definitely that on the offensive end, the other you just have to drag the other team into an ugly game of basketball. Like, that's really what they did most of the time. Like, they didn't play glamorous basketball most of the time. I mean, this is a team that put up, I think they put up under 65 or close to 65 in, yeah, 60, 63, and 60 from the Sweet 16 on. And they kept the other teams at 54, 53, and 54. You're not playing a pretty basketball game when you play against 2014 for for the most part. Like, if, if they keep you... Like if the game is a first to sixty, I mean it's that's usually how it felt when you were watching this team. Uh, they just you know they're gonna they're gonna force you to play an ugly game of basketball, and if you're good enough, you can overcome it. Look at Louisville three times, but if you're if you're not, or if they're just feeling it that day, they just they have just enough because that's what it felt like sometimes. It was just about having just enough, and you know talking about the Kevin Ollie factor, obviously. For the '95 team, he's he's huge. He's a really fantastic player. A lot of 2013 and 2014 was about the fact that you know we talked about like what happened to him after after 14. But those first two years, beyond coaching, he was just an unbelievable motivator. He was able to just like he was able to get the best out of guys because he believed them and he made them believe in themselves. And that was really, I think, one of the big things was he just like he motivated this team to go out there and you know. Even if they weren't the most talented team, just know that they were capable of winning a game, which was just like it was so incredible. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, I'll just hit you with one more stat, and then we can make our final uh, final pitches. So, you know, you're, you're talking about holding 95 down and just you know making it a slug or you know just a defensive you know mud bath. Well. UConn 95 was only held below 70 points once all season, and that was in their loss to Kansas. They scored 59 points in that game. It was actually kind of a, it was actually pretty ugly. They lost that 88 to 59. But other than that, they were 70 points or above every single time. And in the NCAA tournament, they were over 90 in all four games. Over <laughs> 90 in all four games. Not bad. Yeah. Now, granted, they also gave up 89 or more in you know their last three. So. If you're talking about like trying to hold this UConn team down and beat them in a slug in like a you know a defensive battle, I think I think really your key is actually you have to do the opposite. You have to outscore them, 
which is not something yeah. that team was necessarily well equipped to do. But I mean, there's a blueprint. I mean, UCLA did it, Kansas did it, Villanova did it a couple times. It's you know, it's just one of those. I don't know. We'll 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 let the people decide. So I know I know you probably got to get going. So why don't we uh, do our? We'll, we'll just call. It, uh, let's let's make our our final arguments. So. You want me to pull up the uh, the one minute timer, and uh, you can tell everybody exactly why your your boys in 2014 uh, would win this game. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, I got my timer um, right here, and I'll count to three, and then you 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 got one minute, and uh, we'll do this thing real quick. All right. All right. Let's do it. Three, two, one, go. All right. So, what are some of the best sports stories of our time? The team that may not be the biggest, may not be the best, but they have the most heart. They have, you know, they have what the guts, and they go out and they find a way to win. And that's what this 2014 team was. They they knew they weren't the best team in the country. They knew they weren't going to be the biggest. They often weren't when they stepped on the floor. But they're a team that had a lot of experience. They had a lot of heart. And especially after the year they had gone through in 2013, man, they really just – they bound together and they really believed in themselves and they were they proved that they could beat anybody and everybody on their day and they proved that in the ncaa tournament when they went through st joe's villanova iowa state michigan state florida kentucky and won the national title it's not about having the hall of famers it's not about having the most nba players this team could take it to 95 and i think they would and time very nice all right, you uh, you want to do the same for me? All right, let's do it. Count me in. And three, two, one. All right, guys. So listen, we all love the 2014 team. We love all of our national championship teams because they all were able to, you know, come through in the key situations and you know, basically do what it takes to be a champion. But college basketball is weird, and we can all recognize that had one play gone differently, 2014 goes out in the first round. What do we think of them then? A lot different. Guess what? In 1995, UConn blew everybody out of the water almost all season long. They were the first UConn team to be ranked number one, and when they got to the NCAA tournament, they just dropped buckets on everybody. And it just so happened that in the end, they ran into another team that was just as good, and they beat him in a really exciting, high-scoring game. Ray Allen is a Hall of Famer. You know, these guys, this team was unbelievable. And, you know, you strip away all the the banners. You put this team on the court with 2014, it's not even a contest. They're bigger, faster, stronger. They're better. And if they played, they would prove it. And I hope you all see it that way. Nice. One minute on the dot. Bang. So, uh, yeah, so what do you, I, I, I think uh, I'll give you 30 seconds. Tell me why I'm wrong. And, uh, yeah, ready? All right, let's do it. All right, three, two, one, go. Shabazz Napier could hit his shot from anywhere. He can drive to the rim. He can pull up from half court. He can have three players on him, and he will hit the shot. And he just had that mojo for his, especially his last two seasons at UConn. If you're putting 2014 Shabazz Napier on the floor, you have a chance to win every single game, and more often than not, you're winning that game. And he's going to hit more threes than Ray Allen did in college. So, wow, all right, he's going to hit more. Not my best. He's going to hit more <laughs> three pointers. All right, you know what? It's got time me in. Time me in. Okay, go three, two, one. 
All right, so let's just acknowledge one thing. The game has changed. All right, of course Shabazz Napier hit more threes in college than Ray Allen because in the mid-90s, that wasn't what happened. UConn was... People weren't just shooting threes like they do today. What Ray Allen was doing instead, he hit more threes than most, but he was also dunking on everybody. He was driving to the basket, and he was dropping 36 points on Ed O'Bannon and the eventual national champions. Who on UConn in 14 is stopping Ray Allen? Are we serious right now? He's going to just destroy them. It's... It would, it's that's it. I, I time go. <laughs> I was ready to I was ready to keep going, but I think I think I made my point oh. there. Yeah, I struck a nerve, didn't I? Oh man, I love Shabazz. I, look, I, I, no disrespect yeah. to the 2014 team, but unlike last week, I actually do feel like this is a real competition. I'm fascinated in seeing what the people have to say, but um. Yeah, so you guys, you know what? We'll, we, we will leave this in your hands, and you can tell us all who you think would win in a hypothetical matchup. Would it be 2014 or 1995? So uh, I'll have the Twitter poll up tomorrow. We'll have voting running through Friday. And, uh, yeah, spread the word and let, let people know. I think this will be a, a good one. And uh, everybody also wished our boy Tim a happy birthday. I'm sure he wouldn't have preferred I not share that on the pod. But uh, Tim, uh, how old are you now? And uh, what's the what's the the big uh, celebration for you tonight? Uh, I am well. First of all, thank you. Um, I am in the last year of my twenties, uh, is what I'll say. And I think I'm just gonna go enjoy a nice dinner with my girlfriend, and then forget about the fact that I'm in on my way to thirty. Well, you know what? At least you're not there yet. Some of us have, uh, yeah, some of true. us have crossed the dreaded threshold, and you, you, well, you all know what I have going on in my life these days. So, <laughs> <laughs> I got three months to live before it happens. Before you know, parenthood. <laughs> all right. Well, anyway. Um. So, Tim, thanks so much for taking the time. As always, uh, I will let you go. And you guys, uh, you guys all vote. You guys all do your thing. You guys all know the drill. You follow me on Twitter at Max Cerullo. M-A-C-C-E-R-U-L-L-O. DMs are open and you can, uh, you know, email us at yesuconpodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, so we'll we'll be back next week and we got our, our next matchup up will be the uh, 5 versus 12 matchup. It'll be 1998 versus 2002. The uh, We'll say the Proto 99 championship team versus Karan Butler and his Elite 8 uh, squad that uh, lost to Maryland. So should be a good time. And uh, yeah, you guys all be good and we'll uh, catch you all next week.